everybody. Welcome to Fish Out of Water, um, Holy Rod Studios podcast, coming at you from our very own uh, producer and head of content, Saskia de Borgras, lovely apartment. So thank you, Saskia, for having us. Um, we're still on pause. We're still unable to access our studio, but we were very fortunate to have access to our equipment and decided that um, now is a good time as ever to um, get back to sharing um, the incredible voices of our community and continue doing the work that we have committed um, over the long term despite so many incredibly challenging things that are in our everyday experience, especially as New Yorkers. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest today, or actually better yet, I'll have him introduce himself. Yeah. Uh, hi everybody, my name is Andrew Freiband. I am the founder and director of the Artists Literacies Institute. Um, and I'm really excited to be a part of this. It's also my first virtual podcast interview. So let's try something new. Exactly. So we had the pleasure of meeting Andrew at um, our uh, salon conversation at CSI, which is the Center of Social Innovation. And immediately when he had the floor, it was captivating and it was so fascinating because um, so much of what we do and believe in is that um, artists are entrepreneurs and deserve to live fully and that art is a labor. Mm -hmm. And just because we enjoy what we do doesn't mean that we deserve to be paid less. Um, so um, Andrew, I'd love to start by just having you tell us um, why you do what you do. Yeah. <laughs> I ask myself that every day, um, mostly because I, for a long time, didn't know anybody else who was doing it. Um, I, so I'm a filmmaker myself and, um, and an artist, multimedia artist, kind of um, undefined um, forms, whatever context demands. Um, and then I've also taught for years and years um, at lots of different art schools that you've heard of and, um, and in more informal pedagogical settings as well. And uh, in the course of that work, um, as both a filmmaker trying to make a living as a freelancer um, and as an educator trying to figure out where I was directing my students to go with themselves as artists, um, something didn't feel right. You know, um, I would be making films, um, commissioned films, you know, filmmakers, they make their passion projects. And if you're fortunate, those passion projects become, you know, big kind of public works of art. Um, most of the work we do doesn't get seen. Most of the work we do is for a small audience. Sometimes we make it just for ourselves. Um, and in this case, you know, freelance gig work was by commission. And I was working at the time for uh, USAID, the US Agency for International Development, um, which was a pro stuff I loved doing. Um, frankly, it was a really interesting context to be an artist within. And they needed films made and they needed stories told about very complex things, but they needed the stories to be two minutes long and to fit onto YouTube and to capture the attention of, you know, the, the internet. Um, kind of channel clicking, you know, uh, tendencies. And so they said, you know, um, they would send me to places where they're doing development work, economic development work, gender equity work, uh, you know, sanitation, public works. Um, you know, there is good work out there. There's a lot of good work going on. Um, it's, and, um, and to tell that story to kind of convince the American people and Congress and their local partners and everybody involved that this was important, needed to keep happening, and that the USAID's budget should, you know, um, be maintained and be grown. 
Um, and then they would just ask me, okay, um, here's, uh, you know, Haitian steep hillside agriculture. Um, you know, it's a coalition with American universities and Haitian agricultural cooperatives and local governments and communities. And um, can you explain that all like in two minutes <laughs> and have it be super compelling and emotionally, you know, powerful. And, and this is the kind of stuff that artists are asked to do all the time when we're asked, when we're hired as communicators, I think that's an important distinction. Um, most people outside of the arts don't really understand what artists do. And so they hire us to decorate things or to, uh, to visualize things that they've already kind of determined are truths. Mm -hmm. And in the, so I will go in and I'll look at this big system and spend, you know, a few weeks in Haiti on the steep hillsides and talk to everybody and film everything. And what I'm trying to do is put together a, a narrative, put together a story. And um, as I'm doing that, the USAID folks are with me and the Haitian government is with me and the farmers co-ops are with me and the villagers are with me. And all these people are kind of like following this process. And I realized I was walking everybody down a path um, that was guided by narrative. Mm -hmm. It was guided by an artistic intuition. Wow. And it was really cool to see all these people following my artistic intuition, which is a little hair, a little scary, right? It's like a lot of resources <laughs> going into this project. Um, and to see them all learning, to see them learning about something that they were already supposedly experts in. They didn't know that this person knew that person. They didn't know that this is why the farmers used this technique. They didn't know this, they didn't know that. All of these connections got made because they had put it, They. I mean, this is a rare thing. They had set an artist loose in a complex system and allowed me to synthesize it using um, what I now call an artist's literacy. Mm. You know, what an artist reads and writes into and out of the world is their unique way of knowing. And in my case as a filmmaker, that, that way of knowing was what makes a good story. Um, and I thought, you know, this, the, I, I had ended up with hours and hours and hours of footage, you know, 20, 30 hours of footage over the course of like two weeks. And it's going to be a two minute YouTube video. And I'm like, this is the stupidest process I could possibly imagine. You know, this is such a waste of your resources because all of the learning that's taken place is kind of informal and in the background, but nobody has codified it and nobody has captured it and said like this, here's a new kind of report. You know, here's a new kind of data that you all could be working with. Um, and so I proposed, you know, what if you guys, instead of hiring me to just communicate things, if you hired me to also learn um, and help you learn? And maybe it's not just me. Maybe all artists can do this. Maybe all artists have ways of knowing that we could reframe as research. And um, artists, the artist's economy is, is, was not a healthy one. I say was because it's gone now. Um, <laughs> we're, there's a new thing coming and we don't know what it looks like right now. Yeah. Just yeah. like giant anime, like sweat bead, like yeah, down yeah. my face. Um, yeah. Um, and so it, but it wasn't good. You know, it's like, don't, I don't want to go back to, to that. Um, I, you know, return to normal. No, thank you. Um, and so this for me is, you know, this is something else artists do. You know, if our economy is based on knowledge, you know, if, if we really live in a knowledge economy, then artists are invaluable. 
Amen. Then I realized as a teacher, oh shit, I'm not teaching my students this. Uh, I'm still, I mean, I'm, you know, it's like I'm in this big institution and I'm caught in this, in the conventions of careerism and yeah. caught in the conventions of like, make your work object and we will critique your work object. And, you know, um, and if it looks good in a gallery and how do you contextualize it to serve, you know, um, the art market, right? How can you commodify what you do? Um, I had always, that always nagged at me. And then this finally kind of was the breaking point where I realized that um, if art is research, art schools should be research institutions and they're not. Um, and so I started one. Mm -hmm. That's how all good ideas start though, <laughs> don't they? I think, I hope. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully. And it's, you know, I, I mean, I've talked with a lot of other friends um, and, and so I left formal teaching. I left for this formal institution and, and started to talk to a lot of other people that I realized were starting new institutions and, and realized there, there was a current here. You know, there is, we are in a moment where um, this is a transformational moment, I believe, and we need new institutions. And uh, every day another institution kind of crumbles to pieces, you know, and it's terrifying, you know, so it's, you know, what, June 4th, June 5th, mm -hmm. we're, in a, we're in a very frightening moment. Um, part of what's frightening about it for many people um, is that institutions that they once relied on and created the structure of their lives and well-being um, are revealing themselves as not just flawed, um, but the problem. Yes. <laughs> and not, you know, and, and we can't go into the future with those. And so I've talked with all these people who are like, yeah, I'm starting a new museum. I'm starting a new school. I'm starting a new kind of company. I'm starting a new cooperative. Um, and um, I really think that this is the moment when we are, you know, we would be well to be looking at where we are in 25 years mm -hmm. and hope that these things that we're starting now, our household names are reliable and trusted and produce justice and equity in ways that the institutions that are falling out from under our feet today yeah. don't. So then, Andrew, I'd love to talk a little bit about the how of the institution, because the, the story behind what was created is something that we all know is needed. And I think that this is why Holy Rat is created on some level, is that we went through the system. We felt like it didn't do what we needed it to do. And so either you wait around for somebody else to come in and tell you how to fix that problem, yeah. and they weren't coming. <laughs> Or you can um, roll your sleeves up and put that intense energy of disappointment even and, and devastation in a lot of us and, and mm. put it towards something positive. Um, and I think that that sort of Cartesian like dualism that we talk about of just manifestors of nothing into something that is the role of the artist. And I think that we are very passionate about inviting in people who don't consider themselves creatives or artists because their understanding of it is, again, that careerism of the mm. artist, the, 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 mm. the capitalism of, of the artist, the sort of cookie-cuthered Sotheby's, David's Werner version of the artist. And so I'd, I'd love to um, just learn a little bit more about some of the core principles of the how that the the Artist Literacy Institution is doing for artists, um, and then maybe how that informs others to be invited into the artistic process as a form of activism and uh, change in more like sort of 
non-creative realms in the legal world or in yeah. the world of economics um, and, and so on. Um, yeah. Um, so it, because, I, you know, my, the thing I'm most kind of comfortable with in my own creative practice, and I do think of it as my creative practice is, uh, is teaching or really facilitation. Um, you know, you, my students will tell you, you know, that it's just like, we'll, we would just, we'll just talk. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a lot of process, you know, it's like, we'll look at what you're working on and we'll look at sketches and we'll look at the process of something. And I'm really not interested in, um, the object, the outcome, you know, the commodity. Um, and so I'm still doing that, but now, um, you know, the, so the first step for me is really to create a complement to an artist's education, which is this reframing. Um, you know, you are, you don't make things you, uh, you are, you are an artist, right? You think in a, in a unique way, you know, things in a completely unique way. You study things in a completely, completely unique way. And what we need to do is to take what is in, it's taught to be intuitive. This is the other thing that makes, makes me crazy about art education, um, is that art history is taught in this like lone genius model of history, you know, that it's just punctuated by the occasional brilliant white man. Um, and, and then we can like, oh, we can, but no, we can reform the canon and we can find the occasionally brilliant woman and we can find the occasionally brilliant person of color. And it's like, um, punctuated genius is not really how art works. It's not how human culture is produced. Um, and so it's this kind of like, not re-education, but complement to education, which is what makes these, what makes artists' ability to know something unique from the other ways that we know something. And you, if you look back in Western history, there is this schism between science and art mm -hmm. that, that we call the enlightenment and we actually hold up as like a wonderful moment in history. Um, but if you really, if you look at what happened then, um, the science was actually quite bad. You wouldn't want to be treated by a 17th century doctor. No, thank you. Um, it's a cool method, like the empirical method, like, hey, what if we just like looked at the world around us and experimented with it and observed the results of our experiments and learned from that? Um, that's also what artists do. Exactly. Um, the problem was that the observational tools and technologies of the time weren't very good. Now, that schism between art and science coincided, like it basically created these alliances. And I talk about sometimes the territoriality of the human spirit. Mm -hmm. um, all of our disciplines, like the way that Western society has been organized is like there's now there's science and there's art. Um, and at first art was seen as separate from science because um, the artists segregated themselves and they said, no, man, you, you are missing something. You're missing the soul. You're missing spirit. You're missing something ineffable. And if you just break the world down into atoms and into its constituent parts and pieces, that's not what the world is made of. That's not what human beings are made of. And so there was this kind of, um, you know, inadvertent alliance between art and faith, art and religion. And you see that in the history of art because the artists were working for the church. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so, and we, st and then we kind of still live in that. So that was, you know, we call that romanticism now, you know, it's like you read all the romantic poets and it's all about like, you know, screw you science, um, yeah. you're missing yeah. something. And so in the past couple hundred years, something has happened. The science has gotten better because the observations have gotten better. And then if you look at where science in the 20th century ended up, 
basically saying like, I don't know, it's a roll of the dice. Yeah. <laughs> Quantum <laughs> physics. It's like yes. there's 12 dimensions and nobody knows what's happening. And all yeah. of a sudden <laughs> artists are like, we knew this all along. Yeah. Um, and then at the other side, you know, you had like the kind of culture wars, which then created a second schism between art and religion. And now artists, you know, feel alienated from the church and church has become politicized. And again, it's another rift and division in our society. And so what the artist as a researcher does is it kind of pulls all of those things back together. So when you, when you not, don't re-educate artists, but expand on an artist's education of what their role in society is, well, you're as good as a scientist and you should be paid as much and you should be treated as with as much respect and the knowledge that you generate is as rigorous and as valuable as the scientist's knowledge. Um, and when I talk to scientists, they're like, at least as rigorous, if not more. Like scientists are like, we don't know what we're doing. You know, it's, we make it up as we go and it's fun, it's creative and it's intuitive. Um, we just test our theories, that's all. And artists test their theories in the studio um, because does this work? You know, like you sit in front of a screen editing a piece of media, you sit there looking at a canvas, at a drawing, you keep asking yourself that question, does it work? Does it work? Does it work? Does it work? That's, that's a kind of crude version of the empirical method. Mm, yeah. And so with artist literacies, what I try and do is I try and build that up a little bit and make it a little bit more rigorous and a little bit more structured so that what is intuitive to an artist, uh, to a trained artist um, in our conventional training can become cognitive, can become conscious. Like now I know why I know what I know. And now I can demonstrate that for others and I can go into any system. Um, as an example, as a filmmaker, you know, I can go into any kind of complex system. And what I know is I'm going to look for the story and I'm going to connect narrative dots. And there are going to be multiple narratives that can be woven from a story. Um, and if you want me to commodify one of them and make that your YouTube object, I can do it. But the other thing I can do is I can also show you um, an economic story, a social story, a spiritual story. Uh, you know, it's like there are all these narratives that weave through our existence. And I can, as an art, as a research artist, I can show those to you and we can learn from them together. And so that becomes the second phase is now, okay, you're, a, you're an artist's literacies trained artist. Uh, you're a research artist. Um, so what do you do with it? And so what I try to do is create engagements with organizations, institutions, agencies um, that need artists, but they don't know how to work with artists really effectively. The only model they have is, let's do an artist in residency and pay you $2,000 for 12 months of labor. Um, and say, no, what you need as a research artist, you need to put them on salary or put them on retainer. They're a consultant now. And, and they're going to come in and they're going to make their work the way that they know how to make their work. And then there is going to be this back end of, of research and summary and analysis that we can then share with you, basically translating the, the artist's process into impact, into new knowledge. That's incredible. Elena, I, would you like to speak on your experience from being outside of the uh, uh, the yeah. artist world and how you've entered mm -hmm. into it? Because No, it's really funny. Yeah, I feel like I've had the opposite experience where I, you know, was careerist in the sense of a very traditional career path. And um, I spent many years as an activist and I went to law school and that's how I was going to fix the world was I was going to understand like the rules and the systems and how we structured that. And after that um, hamster wheel in D.C. for over five years, um, 
I realized that my strength was really connecting these dots and these narratives and understanding through history and through case law and through rules and all these things kind of what were the problems and you know, the thing I enjoyed most was drawing the law and actually creating, um, I did really well in law school because I flow charted everything. I just turned all the words into pictures and into these beautiful, colorful things that were actually really fun for me to make, but nobody in the law at all <laughs> cared about them. <laughs> Unless they were studying for an exam, I could never turn that in to anything else. That's why I was always so drawn to Holy Rad. And when I came to Holy Rad, I actually all of a sudden flipped and I am now use all of my background and research as an activist, um, as someone who's legally trained and use it as research to help people. Um, so I feel like I've came and realized actually that I am an artist through my research, and, but I came never identifying as an artist ever. Because mm -hmm. I didn't know that that's what artists do. You know, it was mm -hmm. always so compartmentalized. I just, I didn't understand the creative process at all, not knowing that it was so natural to me. And that's actually mm -hmm. naturally where my brain was like, okay, well, let's figure out this system. Let's break it down. Let's, you know, draw it out. Like, And I think something that's really illuminating about just the exchange that the three of us have at the confrontation, not confrontation, but sort of the merging of our worlds, mm -hmm. right? And I've known Elena for 10 years. I mean, I've talked to this girl every single day for a very long time and are so grateful to have her. But as soon as she fully integrated into Holy Rad, I think what we realized is we've kind of come to the same conclusion that you've had at a completely different experience, Andrew, which is that Elena's extensive education on research is more effective in her opinion and it's a very good opinion in my and you know in, your opinion. in my opinion. <laughs> Everything is relative. Uh, no, but uh that it's more effective to be plugged into the vast community of creators that we have and into our production company as um, a as 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 a uh, narrative uh, yeah. you know uh, process and so um, what I think is 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 interesting is that Ellen's experience at you know the EPA or Earth Justice like there was not like an artist plugged into those institutions mm. and it never even crossed their minds or Elena's mind and she had a best friend that went to NYU and is talking about art every yeah. single day and so I think that's what's so interesting and I think I'd like to go to sort of like the what of 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 artist literacy and and maybe invite us into some of those aha moments that some of those larger institutions have had because I, I get nervous about the um, sort of um, the villainization of institutions like they can never change and burn it down to the ground. I mean, I'm feeling a lot of that energy yeah. today and we're screaming in the streets along with everyone else. However, you know, pulling back the ego, pulling back the do, pulling back the anger, um, what comes after? Justin's judgment is a certain step towards remedy and resolve. And I think you've probably got a lot of experiences like that, Andrew, where you're sitting in these big rooms or in these larger institutions. And I would hope that some of them are positive because obviously what you're doing is effective. Yeah, I, it's, I'm, I'm thinking of just the immediate, the immediate term. Um, and I remember, uh, before we talked, you know, sending, you sent the note, we're like, what, you know, what are the positive outcomes? I'm like, all right, I'm definitely going to stay positive. <laughs> there's a lot going on, you know, there's a lot of broken stuff. Um, and, um, you know, I have to kind of go back to uh, a good friend of mine who is actually one of the advisors for Artist Literacy Institute. Um, spoke this kind of beautifully, you know, uttered thing from his place of, of fear and anger and terror, um, you know, as a black man today. And he was just talking about like, we have to keep imagining what goes forward, you know, what, what comes next. Um, like we can fight, you know, and we can, and we can beat our drums and, but we also have to have an imagination about what's coming next. And I do keep reminding myself of that. 
Um, I will say that, uh, you know, we white men, um, as white boys, uh, you know, we're trained to get angry pretty easily. And we don't have a lot of other emotions um, that are given to us when we're growing up. Um, like anger is sort of everything, you know? And it's like, when you feel sad, get angry, you know? And it's like, if you feel angry, get angry, you know? If you feel so happy, um, but yeah, get angry, you know? And it's, and I see that translated into like, basically the structures of our society. So I'm, I'm also very conscious of like, when I feel angry and I see something on my, social media feed and I'm like, ah, that makes me so mad. I'm like, okay, what I have to breathe. And then what can I make out of that? Um, you know, and who can I work with so that it's also just not me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this has been coalition building for me, you know, in this last, um, these last few months, um, and coalition building that elevates artists to a different role. Um, it started because, the first thing I saw, at, you know, COVID do was annihilate uh, the creative economy. Um, and everybody was out of work um, and nobody had an income. And uh, so the first thing I started doing was research on collating um, what are the true economic losses that artists are experiencing. Um, so we created a, a survey and some spreadsheets and we just kind of and circulated them and we... Um, it was in one of the sort of first waves of data gathering on, on the real economic losses, including with like attached narratives. Artists would write in, I've lost $6,000 this month. Um, if this happens, this goes like this until June, I, I will have lost $25,000 and I've got three dependents and you know, this is the reality. And so we collect a lot of that. Um, and then bigger and more able-bodied organizations came along and picked that work up. Um, and then I started to think, okay, so what if, if artists are out of work and there are all these creative uh, intelligences that are idle, you know, in some form or another, um, what, what can we be doing? And um, COVID was a very kind of weird, long, slow, global traumatization. And um, I was put in touch, actually also through the CSI where we met, um, I was put in touch with um, the NYC uh, volunteer organizations active in disaster. They call themselves the VOADs. And so the VOADs are uh, these local chapters of faith-based organizations and, uh, you know, uh, government agencies and charities and small businesses and basically everybody that gets involved when there is a disaster, they are part of these VOAD chapters. And then there's a national VOAD. And what they're used to doing is cleaning up after floods, feeding people, um, take, you know, take, sheltering them, rebuilding. Um, and then they're able, and then the disaster has been responded to and they can move on. Um, and so they came to me and were like, we have a weird kind of, we have this disaster that we've never encountered before, which is nonstop global in scale. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing to clean up exactly. and there's nothing to rebuild. Wow. Um, but the but the disaster is that everybody's locked up in their homes, experiencing monumental amounts of loss. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and how and we can't have funerals and we can't have rituals and we can't sit shiva and we can't not grieve the people that we're losing. Um, and it it made a lot of this loss kind of intangible for many people. You know the 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 number you just see numbers and numbers don't really mean anything. No. Um, there it's an abstraction of what's really happening. And so they said, can artists help with that? 
Wow. Yeah. So we've, so one of the initiatives that I've got going is a working group of artists who are kind of an advisory board um, for disaster relief. And we're developing tools for communal, communal grieving um, that is really marrying like faith-based traditions and artistic and creative traditions. And, you know, there, it is art as therapy. It is art as memoriam. It is art as, you know, a chance to grieve. Um, you know, we refer back to other examples of this happening. The AIDS quilt, you know, is a great example of how the artist's community responded in terms of like getting people to make something, put something together, create a communal experience so that we can grieve, memorialize and grow. Um, and so this is the research that artists are, are needed uh, to do right now. And really this is something that, um, you know, I would say to kind of everybody here to look at yourselves as artists, you know, you've got this creative community around yourselves at Holy Rad. Um, and you feel like, well, what can I be doing, right? I mean, yes, we can march in the streets. Um, there is there is activist, an activist inclination. And I remember after the election in 2016, you know, it was like, what can artists do? We can make posters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it was like, that doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, we can make posters, but you can, we can also consider ourselves um, a disaster relief resource right. and, and respond on behalf of our communities um, and help our communities respond and support them in, in different ways. And, and those don't look like one particular thing. They look like different things depending on where you are. That's another benefit of working with artists is that they are going to be rooted in their communities. They're going to be contextually appropriate. Um, they're going to be responsive and dynamic. And so again, we can't just ask artists to make a thing and then walk away we'd need to just have artists involved and engaged in a kind of continual way. Yes. Mm. Wow. Well, I mean, um, I just am so excited about the work that you do. And um, at Holy Rad, we really look up to you individually and everything that your organization is standing by. And so I just, um, let's definitely, how can, how can artists get involved? Yeah. If, yeah. if there is a way for them to get involved um, and and feel feel the inclination to um, participate in the uh, you know the disaster relief mm -hmm. truly um, in a very broad sense I think um, and Elena you were kind of describing this like I look around you know artists and artistic thinkers like artists don't have to go to art school um, you know artists are artists because of the way that they think and the way they know if you if you act on that sense that I think artists all share that they look around at the world and like this could be better, yeah, yeah. like it's really primal, it's really fundamental. Like this really could be better, um, and if you don't know how to act on it, that can be super frustrating. Um, so so acting on it right and finding ways to act on it, and that's something that I'm interested in working with artists to help them do is that kind of vertical strategy um, or horizontal strategy. Well, who do you know? that can um, really catalyze your way of knowing. You know, if you're in a community that's affected, um, you know, there are gonna be organizations there, VOADs, volunteer organizations active in disaster, you can look them up and be like, hey, I heard that they're doing this in New York. And uh, do you need help grieving? Do you need help processing trauma? Do you need help giving things, giving people things to do through the summer, kids who are out of work? Like there are all of these unmet needs. Um, and that, that's the framing that the VOADs use, are unmet needs. So if artists think about looking around them, what are the unmet needs? And then figuring out, well, what are my capacities to meet those needs? Um, 
the, the, the difficulty at the moment, of course, is that these are all unfunded. Like this is like not a, you know, it's not the wage economy that we once worked in. And all of us are kind of facing this, this reality is that nobody's getting paid for what we're doing right now. Um, but that, but if we do then think about the long term, what we're doing is we're realizing a new economy. Yeah. yeah. And if we can think about it in that, I mean, it's, it's terrifying to say, I'm going to do all this work for nothing. And I, for years and years, I would never really, I, like, I would advocate for my students, like, don't, like, bid against your future selves. Don't work for free. Don't, you know, and that is still true, depending on who it is you're working for and where your labor is going, what your labor is being put towards. Um, but if you're building a new economy that centers artists and, and, the, and the communities that surround them, um, you're not actually working for free, right? It's just that the currency isn't cash. Exactly. Mm, I love that. So there's a very kind of grassrootsy way of answering it, you know, in a much more concrete way, um, like reach out, you know, it's like find, find me, find you guys. I mean, I think what's amazing, you know, about what you're doing um, is how collaborative it is, you know, how much, um, what a triad, you know, you make and then like the community around you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative of the kind of collaborative and cooperative endeavor. And that's kind of me, I think very much kind of always looking for those, those connections. Well, I mean, I think that if you guys want to find out more about Andrew, we will put all of his information mm -hmm. in the caption below in any place that you guys are um, watching this or listening to us. Um, and I am sure without a shadow of a doubt that we will be continuing to work with Andrew yes, and continuing yes. to bolster the voices that he is bolstering. And um if um, if there for any reason that you guys want to participate more, feel free to reach out to Holy Rad directly, and we'll always be able to direct you in the right direction. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, Andrew, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna, I was just gonna add. I mean, there on on the specific initiatives that are going on right now with the VOADs, you know, um, there is there is space for um, there's a lot of space for work there. Um, I think if people are just interested in what artist literacy's work looks like and how artists can be engaged, like there's a lot of work there. And we have an initiative um, that is emerging with the United Nations that's like potentially global in scale and gonna run this whole year. Um, so there's, uh, we're in the process of fundraising, we're in the process of launching these things. Um, so yeah, the more the merrier, you know, this has gotta be a collaborative effort, but uh, it's a long work. Yeah, I mean, bolstering lines of communication and um, empowering um, the Artist Institute with um, the Artist Literacy Institute with um, information as well. Mm -hmm. um, participating in your data collection process yeah. is another way for you to participate, even if you're not in a creative mm -hmm. mood. Um, there are all these ways. So, yeah, I mean, let's go ahead and sign off. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you all. Stay safe, everybody. We will. We will. We will. Bye. Okay.